0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese, specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion. For more information, visit meusa.com.
2: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network
3: Hello, hello, and welcome to Cutting the Curd on Heritage Radio Network. Uh, for those of you keeping score at home, I am Aaron Foster, and uh, I'm your new host. I was introduced a few weeks back, and I'm really excited to be with you on our first show. Uh, just a little background on me. I own Foster Sundry, which is a artisan cheese counter, whole animal butcher, and specialty grocer and cafe in Bushwick, Brooklyn, just... Uh, you know, less than a half mile down the road from our recording studio here. Uh, and my guest today is going to be Glenn Hills. Um, Glenn is sort of cheese royalty. Um, he's got it in his blood. And uh, I'm really excited. He's just a wealth of knowledge and has been doing this, I think, more or less his whole life.
4: Thank you, Aaron. And congratulations on your host Oriel debut. Oh, <laughs> is yes. That, is that what it's, it's called? host tutorial. Yeah, word, I host-torial. think so. yeah. that's mm, great. Yes.
3: Um, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself real quick before we dive into our show?
4: Okay, so I grew up in cheese, in a way, um, via a family business. Just all in, in the crib that was just full, <laughs> filled with cheese. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to put my finger on the retail experience or like the the years because I I started sampling when I was like four or five <laughs> and um, and that that was really my gig until I was like in sixth grade and then I started interacting with customers more um and cutting cheese and stuff that's when you were you they know, really cut it at that point <laughs> that's when I was cutting the card
3: cool yeah. and then I mean I guess probably the most relevant experience
4: to uh
3: this show is going to be your most recent yeah, to this
4: show definitely. Um I, I worked at an importer of cheese from Europe, mostly um the Alps, Switzerland um is Columbia cheese. Um awesome, awesome list um and people. And yeah, that's um that was a super dreamy job. Um yeah, and cool. we'll and talk guess, about
3: that. Yeah, we might as well now like uh erase the secret of what the show is gonna be about, which <laughs> is um I think we kicked around a few names for it. Cow to counter, um, fromage to your face. Uh, Essentially, we're going to be talking about supply chain. And I I can hear eyes. I don't know if eyes make a sound when they glaze over, but I think I can hear it right now when someone says, we're going to talk about the supply chain for half an hour. Um, But I think the reason we chose this show as a topic is because it's actually super interesting. And I think a lot of folks, I mean, even a lot of cheese people, don't really understand or really have a full grasp of how complex how efficient and how important the supply chain is to get cheese from the farm um you know let's take I think in this show we're going to talk mostly about say rural farms in western europe mm-hmm. to a random cheese counter in brooklyn or in california um or even in 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 japan or or farther flung locales
4: yeah we you know we each know what we know and i i always found learning more about the supply chain as a retailer was an empowering thing um it just helped kind of paint um paint the path so to speak and it made it it made the product feel less like a commodity despite already thinking that the product was like super um romantic
3: right and it's it's also interesting i think because when we talk about supply i think when people hear the word supply chain they really just think like widgets being made in China and shipped to in big boxes across the ocean on big freighters into American factories or whatever. And I think that it's interesting because there are certain parts of that that are analogous to what happens with cheese. But then because cheese particularly, I think we're going to be mostly speaking about artisan cheese Mm -hmm. um, is such a living, breathing thing. It's actually a lot more complicated than that Um, and pretty remarkable that it works at all, to be honest. (laughs) I think that's the real surprise. Um, so when we, I guess when we talk about supply, just to define our terms here,
4: like when we're talking about supply chain, what, you know, what does that entail for you? Well, so I know in this episode, we're talking about it in terms of, uh, milk to, To table or milk to mouth, milk to mouth, great. I love it. (laughs) I mean, typically, I consider the supply chain happening from um, you know post post production. Like that's what we're talking about. Um, Once the product is ready, then everything from there to the mouth. Um, And it is. I mean, think of a chain, or think of a Rube Goldberg machine. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Right. It sort of is like that. (laughs) Like mousetrap. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not necessarily like the whole system waiting for that one ball to arrive, right? The, the lever might not snap until 3000 balls are in that (laughs) little cup. (laughs) Right. Exactly.
3: And there's many more just behind it and just behind that. Yes. Um, totally. And I, I think, um, you know, when we talk about there's just so many other shows that we've done at cutting the curd, um, that have really gotten into like the nitty gritty of cheese making. So I think we really just, we don't need to focus as much on that here today. Yeah, um, you can like listen, to your, scroll through the archives for, for that kind of detail. Um, so, I mean, why don't we start talking about Gruyere and, and just as a, just throwing out a, a cheese that comes from Western Europe that, that I think has a fairly interesting supply chain. Cool. Um, and I know it's one that you, that you're quite familiar with. Um, yeah. Let's, you know, where does Gruyere like begin its journey to, like I sell Gruyere on my counter. Yeah. Um, you know, we sell it right down the street. There's probably some on the menu here at, uh, at Roberta's. Um. So you know, how does it start? Us journey to to my counter.
4: Yeah. So you know, we're starting at milk. We could even go back to inputs and talk about the land and feed. Mm, man, I didn't. Um. Even... I think that's another podcast series. Yeah. Actually. We should
3: maybe we should make that
4: like the two hundred one of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um. And I like that. And uh, so starting at the milk, um, in Europe, um, and you know, I mostly thinking of, um, village dairies in the Alps right now. Um, but you know, milk really regardless can come directly from the farmer. Um, there are operations so small where milk is bought and farmers just carry milk cans over on carts. Right. Um, they're also like
3: your next, like Ned Flanders is like bringing, he's got the cows and Homer's making the cheese and he just like, here you
4: yeah. go. Like maybe closer. Like yeah. you're standing at the dairy and you can like hear a barnyard door open. <laughs> <laughs> and it's that, it's that like on the property. It's still a neighbor.
3: And so if we're defining terms, like this would be the difference between like farmstead cheese and then I guess not farmstead cheese. This
4: would be, yeah, I mean, in that like farmstead artisan industrial Break three way paradigm. Yeah. This would be artisan because they're not raising the animals, but um, you know village dairy. I think is more specific because it's talking about um, obviously the village and um, yeah, just speaking to that um, small economy. Right. So you're so we're sitting here we're, uh, we've got a dairy, which is just going to be like a cheese making. The, all that guy does is make the cheese. Yeah. So it, it increases specialization that way. That's right. what I love about it is the farmers just get to focus on their cows. Well, I feel like in America and, and right. cheese makers just make cheese. And that's that's enough. If, if anything, that's like their ideal
3: because one person can get super good at what they do.
4: Yeah. And as then,
3: then not to be trying distracted at yeah. all.
4: Yeah. So
3: like an, a different example would be like, uh, I think a lot of people when they think of American cheese makers, you're thinking of like the farmer who also he's got the animals maybe, or she oftentimes in America um, raises, creates the feed, grows the feed, raises the animals, milks them, and then makes the cheese on the farm and then ages it and packages and sells it all in one place. So many things. So many things. It's so hard, and Europe has like long since kind of, for the most part, moved away from that model.
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Fermier thing is super romantic, and that is its own thing. That's uh, and those cheeses are distinguishable and unique. But um, All right, so let's just yeah, because we're we got yeah, no, we to. I moving. So
3: the uh, so cheese. So we're at the basically the cheese. Uh, the first step would be say the milk going from the the folks that milk the animals yeah get gets taken to the dairy which is usually quite close yeah and then the cheese gets made in the dairy correct
4: so and from there the cheese could be aged right on site right or or uh, it could go to some kind of regional aging facility um either i mean if it's an aop cheese it's going to be owned by an affineur that's like in the aop um Right, AOP yeah. being like a, the 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 Swiss consortium so or French it, cons- yeah 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 or PDO or whatever
3: AOC or, PDO know, whatever country you're in yeah. G tfo and yeah it's one of those is not
4: real but <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that is typically overseen by that that transportation since we're talking about supply chains is typically overseen either by the producer or the person aging the cheese um from what i've seen there's not usually a third party at that step right so like either the producer
3: puts it in his van drives it over or yeah. the offener the maturer, the cheese ager you know, sends over her truck, picks it up and then brings it back to the place where they're aging the cheese. Yeah. And I feel like size is important to think of here because like we're, you know, if we're talking about Grier, these wheels when they're first made are like big floppy tires, greenish yellow tires that weigh, 100 pounds or more
4: yeah they're actually required to stay at the site of production so at the dairy for three months before they move to the affinor.
3: and so most dairies probably only have enough space for about three months worth of cheese because it doesn't make sense for them to have more
4: yeah that's that's right
3: um so then the cheese goes to like so driver comes picks it up and is taking it over to this this affinor, this cheese ager and this is where it's going to spend like of all the time in the supply chain as if we're talking about a hard cheese this is where it's going to like spend the most time at this apartment right
4: yeah with gruyere um it's either going to spend uh, a minute, like three months to make it a total of six months or it will keep going and get up to two years you know usually right. not more than that um and like those places can be crazy because they're holding
3: like there's they're not there totally. aren't small versions of this right thousand
4: wheels That's yeah so many wheels yeah it's leveraging uh yeah this cheese like it's a business it's it's a bank
3: right and i know in italy they uh, they still accept like wheels of cheese as collateral um for for loans and and things like that it works that's just yeah because you know it's 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 just sitting sitting hanging out in a bank you might you might as well put gold away um, and for the cost of some of these cheeses, you probably could do better with cheese. Um, so it's hanging out here. Um, and again, it's not really doing much. So let's, let's just move, I think to the next part of the supply chain. Cause this is kind of where it starts to get more interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. After it, let's say it's like this, the French affiner has gone around and she's tasted all of her cheeses and she's like, all right, this one is ready. Well, let's talk. Well, so I think it's, it's important to note that she's not for assuming this cheese is coming to America, right? She's not saying it's ready to eat now. She's really, she's got to already be thinking about the supply chain of where this cheese is going. Yeah. So if the cheese is going to a local shop in Switzerland, like you want a cheese that's ready to eat right then. But if it's going to spend another three months, two months in the supply chain, you don't want the cheese to be over the hill by the time it gets to customers
4: that's it you're a bit of a fortune teller you're looking into the future and making sure it's on target to hit a profile two months from that point right and you would say and you
3: have to really know where each wheel is headed and i think that's like one of the great skills of these agers
4: yeah yeah i agree we're also like we're standing on the shoulders of giants in terms of packaging in terms of just like right this stuff is already figured out um in a lot of ways and particularly Um, in switzerland where it's so
3: sophisticated they're using lasers and ultrasound and water picks to slice cheese to exact weights
4: the models are there like we're we have the luxury of just kind of focusing on our palates and thinking about the future now we don't have to reinvent the wheel and think like okay like is this type of cardboard going to kill the rind of this cheese right yeah and
3: it's super, right it's super interesting and i think uh that's that's a it's certainly something that i've seen american cheesemakers struggle with because they don't have this history of making che- the same cheese year after year after year and and having the opportunity to have tried all of these different and sort of iterate and evolve the right packaging they're just like oh i made a new cheese i'm calling it bazinga and it is a wash grind and I don't know what to put it oh in God, or yeah. what shape it's going to be in or whether it'll bump around and hit the sides and lose its its texture or whatever. That's right. Um, so I think, it, so certainly at this point, let's say we've decided the cheese is coming to me. Uh, the, like this is a wheel of Gruyere that's like earmarked for a foster sundry. Cool. Um, yeah, <laughs> which uh, we have done in the past, but we don't do for... Um, Gruyere specifically but we have certainly done for other cheeses yeah. um, w- well you know what? let's take a break real quick it's time for a 15 or it's time for uh, just a quick break we'll be back in a moment uh, with more from Glenn and we'll continue to nerd out
1: thank you today's program was brought to you by Emmy Cheese specialty cheese from Switzerland made with heart and passion since the early 1900s, Emmy has been a passionate supporter of farmers, cheesemakers, and family tradition. They believe in sustainable agriculture and respect for the people, land, and animals that make their business possible. Remaining dedicated to tradition, they strive to lead the industry in innovation, ensuring they bring you only the highest quality, best tasting cheese from Switzerland. EMI is best known for importing more than 80% of the Swiss Gruyere into the United States. But that's not to overshadow their other specialty cheeses, including Kaltbach Cave Age cheeses, Der Scharfa Max, Appenzeller, Tete de Moin, and Traditional Emmentaler. For more information, visit emmyusa.com.
3: Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. Uh, again, I'm Aaron Foster. This is my inaugural show. Um, very happy to have you here. We are discussing the supply chain. And don't change the channel. It is super interesting, I promise. Um, and I've got Glenn Hills with me. And we're going to go ahead and pick up where we left off, which was we had just decided that this Wheel of Gruyere is ready to come from a vault blasted out of the side of a mountain in switzerland to my shop in brooklyn and it's in that mountain right now where's it go next
4: (laughs) Um, well it can go to a variety of places if it's coming to the u.s it's probably going to head to paris um, or that general vicinity because that's where the that's that's the spoke in the wheel when it comes to western europe Um, so
3: like if it's basically the sort of midpoint between where most of the cheese is made is that like is that the general idea or that that's
4: The general idea. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good center point. I guess Um, France
3: itself has a lot of cheese too that wants to leave and come to the
4: US. Yeah. For some reason, they just decided to make it there. Okay. So it goes to Paris. Yeah. So there's this town called Ranchi and uh it's raunchy r- rungy <laughs> i think Aaron, you might have to help me with this no no i, I <laughs> like that. that sounds right um r-u-n-g-i-s okay and uh it's it's a little bit like hunts point here uh, that we have here in new york city in the bronx in the bronx uh, functions as right hunts point is a place in, place in new
3: york where it turns out that something like 85 percent of all imported food some ridiculous amount like we'll travel through on its journey to somewhere else in the U S
4: yeah. Okay. Yeah. And like Hunts Point, it's, it's predominantly business to business. Okay. Um,
3: like I, I wouldn't go shopping for like my Thanksgiving dinner. At Hunts yeah. Point. I
4: don't get that vibe as much. Like you need a pass to get in. Um, I know there's some like consumer facing stuff there but the you know the majority of the business is business to business it's um importers exporters cheesemakers uh distributors brokers um who set up shop there and it's not walk just the cheese market, right and they sling cheese and there's a bit of everything yeah. there um but cheese does have its own hall or series it's huge, of right? halls yeah it's like airplane hangers. but right. um, really like clean pretty, <laughs> really <pristine>. clean <laughs> airplane hangers. and then just like cheese on every pallet and it's cheese from like every nook of Western Europe. So you'll see, you'll see carefully. Um, you'll walk 10 feet. You'll see, um, some like super obscure German thing next right. to some Manchego, Brie, Parm, yeah,
3: all of stuff. Yeah. 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 But also a little tiny artisan stuff as well. Yeah. So it's, it's basically like, everything stops
4: there on its way out of the country and like it stops in like that the town. TSA. it doesn't necessarily hang out inside the market Gotcha. Um, other shops and players in the game have set up in that vicinity so basically like in the same parking lot as the market right okay that makes sense um, so they're different like consolidators or exporters um, and they're like or tailgaters both, yeah they're tailgaters <laughs> yeah they open up this giant door <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just this party um of of cheese, So like, and that, and this is where the port is also, or is near the port? So the port is, um, in the North of La Havre, La okay. Havre, Le Havre. <laughs> H-A-V-R-E. All right. Uh, and yeah, that's on the like, like English channel. Like the, the ships that eventually come here, like kind of run the North Sea. So, so they start up in Rotterdam, like Rotterdam, Rotterdam and, right. yeah, Antwerp in uh, So they're, in they're basically stopping and they're
3: like dropping off and picking up. Yeah. Or are they mostly yeah. always picking up?
4: Uh, oh, they're they're mostly always picking up, yeah. I'll, I'm sorry, what yeah. kind of
3: ship are we talking about here?
4: Yeah, so we're talking about a large vessel that holds, like, 3,000 containers, um, maybe more. The average, I was looking at, just, like, statistics, and the average last year is 3,400 containers per vessel. Uh, that's, that you know, that's everything. Um, and, like, just to put it in perspective... That's an average per ship, and they're... Thousands of ships. Like we're recording in a shipping container right now.
3: So there's each one holds a lot
4: of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like twenty pallets ish. And a pallet's like like four by four. Um one meter by one meter. Yeah, like forty inches by forty eight inches. Yeah.
3: Um so I mean that that's just an insane amount of cheese in one shipping container. Oh my god, yeah. Twenty of those things are stacked high. Um yeah. Right. I feel like we'll so we'll definitely post some supplementary reading um on the show page. Uh we'll post a picture of Maersk is one of the large shipping lines. We'll post a picture of one of their ships with all the containers on it. Um and and there's also an amazing podcast called Containers um, by Alexis Madrigal that is definitely
4: worth listening to. Yeah, ninety nine percent Invisible has an episode yes, called Me for Madness. Yep. Yeah. They, and
3: they partnered I think with Alexis Madrigal on that. Episode. Oh,
4: I like that. Okay. Um
3: good. Good. So so we basically so we're to now we we go from Rangis to La <laughs> Havre yes um and then it goes on this boat and th- so I think it's important to say like these boats are insane I mean boat is the wrong word ship like vessel yeah frigate I don't know what the right but they're they they are so huge they're they're traveling cities essentially right yeah
4: yeah i mean when we go to the rockaways i uh in the summer we we sit on the beach and we look out in the ocean and we just count these vessels and they're yeah. they're huge and they're also so i think they're freaks of nature
3: and everything goes on there and a lot of times you'll hear um i think you've you know the, you'll read about stories in the news about sometimes one of these vessels will go through a rough patch of weather or um something will happen and, and containers will actually fall off the vessel That's
4: a thing. I mean, it's pretty easy to Google image search that. So it must be true.
3: And it's like not... uh, Apparently it happens regularly enough. I did read recently about a study... Where uh, uh, I can't remember exactly when it happened, but it was a container full of toys, including rubber duckies, and <laughs> they. Just, I read about
1: Doritos.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there and there was a, one of Harley's uh, at some point recently as well. Um, but the the rubber ducky one, they actually used the rubber duckies, and they decided to turn it into a study. And they, whenever somebody found a rubber ducky, you could log it. You go to a website, and it's like, I don't go to this website because I don't know what's there. But it's like I found my ducky dot com don't go to that website just to or go search on Um, patterns of and they would yeah Yeah. and that's and they used it to to do science that they could never have done otherwise to find out ocean currents and things like that um and they turned up all over lemonade all over them right exactly (laughs) um so this ship this giant ship when and and if you've ever seen the second season of the wire it's kind of like that yes where they've got all these they're just they, they come off. They go into the port. There's these elaborate gantries that lift them up and put them down. And they fit exactly on a truck, um, on, like, a little Mack truck. Yeah. And so they get driven on and driven off. And then, of course, they have to um, pass through. So they it takes... How long does it take to, to come from Le Havre uh, to, like... And everything comes... And where does it go? Sorry, I should say So it's, out. like,
4: nine days. It's In some ways, it's a lot. In other ways, it's not because, like, on the sales side, we need those orders like uh, like like three and a half weeks before that happens you know, or, or, or.
3: i see so like when you're when you're like planning to order if like when i ordered this wheel of gray that we're talking about i would have had to order it roughly like four
4: weeks ago right because there are so many like, right because it's got they've got to find my point. wheel
3: in the vault they've got to put it in a truck and send it to paris from switzerland That's and it. then yeah. it's got to go from paris to Rangis. And then from Rungis, it's got to get loaded into a container with other cheese that might be arriving at different times. And then it's got to go from there to, to La Havre. To La Havre. And then yes. gets on the boat. Yes. And the boat, hopefully, if the weather is good and doesn't crash into anything or <laughs> get knocked <laughs> off, runs on time, takes about nine days to get to. And it all comes on to n- yeah. Newark, right? Newark. Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah, stop in the US typically,
4: I think. It's like um,
3: pretty much every artisan cheese coming from Europe goes to Newark, right? It doesn't go anywhere else?
4: yeah that's that's the general rule I mean that's why so much um, so much business is based here in terms of cheese importing. I mean I guess it
3: makes sense but it's interesting that like it wouldn't go to like Norfolk or or Boston or Baltimore
4: or yeah. some of it's just not um like like w- who wants to reinvent the wheel when it's already built right like who wants to be responsible for that it's it's a very costly um just logistical sure. road yeah and complicated
3: yeah um so when i uh you know my wheels now in in a container in newark how do i get it to my shop do i just drive to newark and pick it up
4: <laughs> no so from there um from there it needs to clear customs which happens in a u.s customs holding house or a bonded um customs warehouse and is that at the port or it's like anywhere and that um, that's typically off-site in this case, and you know there could be a scenario like um, like so I work at I worked at Columbia Cheese, and um, th- uh, that's owned by a great guy named Adam Moskowitz, who um, also owns Lark and Cold Storage, which is one of these um, bonded, bon, bonded warehouses. Warehouse. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So in that situation, um, trucks would deliver containers of cheese to larkin every week so this the schedule that we're describing is um this file schedule that happens every week
0: right
3: right. okay so every week is like a file
4: yeah and then so i guess i mean it makes sense right because it's just like this carousel that just keeps
3: the um the ship is only going to be in port for like a day right like it's the idea is like get things on and off as fast as possible
4: that's it yeah so
3: then but if you just took everything off and waited for everything to pick everything up this the port would be full constantly so they right. so they need Chaos. people like come and yeah take everything and put it somewhere else that's not at the port where it can right. wait to clear get customs. it out of
4: there let it clear customs you pay the duties once it <coughs> clears that's kind of the beauty of having this bonded warehouse it gives you like cover in a way um but the, the warehouse has to be tight it's got to be it's got to like live up to um, right like they have to get all, special
3: like permission from the government or something to be yeah. like i can't just open a warehouse and be like i will take customs bonded stuff
4: yeah yeah. Um yeah, so from there it's distribution. Um distributors they pick up from this site. Yeah. And a part of that means cross docking right because this this um path is already paved cross-talking sounds like something you'd find on urban dictionary.com <laughs> <laughs> oh man i wish i had that innocence
1: <laughs> i don't have it any You're longer never. yeah i'm sorry
4: <laughs> i wish i could see that word differently <clears throat> um, yeah uh so the idea there is uh, like distributors are already picking up their imported stuff so if like domestic producers can get their product to this place then the distributors can pick I it see. all up at once. So,
3: it clears customs it probably clears like usda or fda or something like that as well yeah um yeah. and that's just to make sure that like food safety you know everything is like there's no bioterrorism or anything like yeah
4: that. the cbp the customs border protection agency like they they um they're the like feet on the ground enforcing fda gotcha uh, regulations, regulations. Yeah.
3: okay cool and then it goes so it's it clears customs and it clears fda and then it goes to like a warehouse where a distributor can pick it up or it then can be
4: typically old. the distributors pick it up yeah, yeah. Uh, or or it's a third party
3: or like uh, i could go pick it up for example maybe depending on how much i bought
4: sure yeah um d- yeah just depending on kind of where you fit into the supply chain but like i range. certainly
3: know i can think of examples where like i might pre-order a cheese from somewhere in europe and then my distributor happens to be in boston or maine or somewhere so it it comes in and it goes it'll go like up to Boston or up to Maine, and then back down to New York. Like then, which it's is,
4: the price we pay for such efficient infrastructure. Right. Well, right? it's
3: crazy. It's so funny that you say that because, like, in my head, that sounds like the most inefficient thing imaginable. But it actually, <laughs> right? If I'm getting stuff from other parts of the country that are going through that place in Boston, it actually does make sense. Yeah, because,
4: you know, as you think about the supply chain as a retailer, you think like, oh my God, like I'm kind of the small fish. But then you think like, no, the cheese industry is just a fish in this sea of like all these other fishes. Right. So it, it, it means like it behooves us to play this game, like to to live on. This like shell game. (laughs) Yeah. And to play with other industries, right? Like we have kind of have to do that to make this work at the prices we're used to paying for freight.
3: No, I actually, there's so much more I want to talk to you about. And I feel like we're going to have to do a 201 because I felt like we did a really tight sort of top down view of how this all works. (laughs) And I think you ended it so eloquently that like, I don't want to then start start somewhere else and and mess it up so um i just want to say thank you so much for uh coming on the show i think it's your first time on the show
4: it is i've been on the other side of this glass many many times over here and (laughs) And it's a block away and it's my
3: (laughs) first solo show and uh i'm delighted to have you aboard and i think um gosh uh hopefully they're responsibly good and we'll have lots to talk about um sounds great later so uh yeah that's it for this week's episode of cutting the curd on the supply chain um i really appreciate you coming out and uh hope uh, you have a lovely holiday.
4: Thank you. You too.